guess what I watched last night? I don't know. What I'll did give you, you a little hit. I know what you're talking about. I just want to see how far you'll go with this. Um, you're going through a Bond phase now. This is what, what I am. I'm watching all oh of the Daniel Craig Bond films God. in readiness for the new Daniel Craig Bond oh. film because just I've never oh, I love that ever had oh, any interest in any Bond oh. film. Sorry. I just sorry. I just like. I don't. I really am <sighs> super unmotivated. The Daniel I just Craig think it's ones so boring. are so good. Are they? I don't oh. know. Okay. So last night I watched Casino Royale, mm-hmm. and I mean, from I should have just let you keep singing that song until you just like <laughs> pathetically <laughs> petered out. <laughs> um, the. Opening titles, I was watching them thinking, oh, my God, if you were like the director or the producer of this and the graphics person brought you these opening titles, I would just wet my pants with joy. They're so good because they... Imagine how much fun it would be like to just be given essentially a giant budget and an invitation to make it as like... Oh, just so good. Well, like imagine like, okay, well, you're doing Skyfall. Um, The theme is it's Adele. um, Mm. So she's written this song. Here you go. Here are the Rolling Stones. Here's the the opening sequence of him. He's just dived off a bridge. He's landed in the ocean. Go. Like, oh. Anyway, the Casino Royale ones are just superb. You They've- are such a cheap date, aren't you? Like, you know, <laughs> entertainment-wise, visually, you're just like yeah. they. I feel that the um, new Bond film it opens in Australia in November. I feel like I'm not sure who I'm going to ask to go with me. Oh yet. my god, I love that you're. What? <laughs> but I feel like I need to warn them that I, there's a lot of. I have a lot of audible reaction because when I was watching Casino Royale last <laughs> night, it's full of me just going, oh, oh, oh. So it's just a full-on experience. <laughs> have you seen Casino Royale before? Yeah, and I still have those reactions. Like it's because the stunts and the visual stuff is so incredible. You just I'm audibly gasping all the time. Do you ever look in the mirror and just think I am a giant child? Well, I tried to stop it because after I noticed that I was doing it, I thought, okay, stop doing that because that would be really annoying if someone was over here and you were doing that. And then I just can't because it's just so incredible. Anyway, I keep getting off the track of the opening titles. They've done this incredible thing where there's a lot of black. They're alluding, of course, to the casino thing. There's a lot of black and red. It's kind of a bit like Mad Men where the the Bond figure in the shape of Daniel Craig is just black like a silhouette and then, you know, he shoots people and they crumble into a stack of diamonds and, you know, hearts explode out of things. They're just Do you know what I really hate is that I now really feel like watching it. Like I'm so feckless that I think I might. And there's some great – Daniel Craig just – so I also watched this doco on Apple. It's it's clearly a film promo thing. It's a 45-minute thing. It's called Being James Bond. And Mm. But it's – so it's a film promo but it's – it's – it's dressed up really well so it doesn't feel like a promo. And it's basically about it's looking at the five Bond films that he's done and talking about how when he was cast, he just was absolutely shit-canned. Everyone said yeah, I remember he's that too thing. ugly, he's not going to be any good. Wow, you imagine know, that. Well, and he's talking about when they're shooting the first one, which was Casino Royale, he said they're talking about and the producers are talking about it started to become a real morale thing for the crew because you know he was well liked everyone felt really sorry for him he couldn't he couldn't catch a trick they did some publicity thing in the UK where he comes down the Thames and the people driving the boat made him put a life jacket on and then it's in the paper like oh Bond's a wuss he wore a life vest like he couldn't do a thing without being criticised oh, no. and when they were filming it the crew sort of felt like we can tell this is really good and he's actually bringing something really different to the role and he's just killing it and then there's just this noise outside about how dreadful it is but then it came out luckily and everyone loved it but 
I can't. Um, damn you for making me emotionally invested in this. <laughs> he talks a bit of, too about just, of course, because it's such a famous character, the weight of being that person. And he says by far, and he says he's talked to Pierce Brosnan about this, by far the hardest line to deliver is the name's Bond, James Bond, because <laughs> he's, he's so he's famous. He's talked to Pierce Brosnan yeah. about this. Imagine like sort of ex-Bonds workshopping, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, what about that? Yeah, shaken not stirred. Did you find oh, it hard when it. you had yeah. to say Well, in Casino Royale, there's a great bit where he goes, I want a, mar- a dry martini, give me a dry martini, and the bartender goes, Shaken or stirred, he goes, do I look like I care? (laughs) And he's just had this massive sort of action sequence and he's just furious and exhausted. Do I look like I care? Um, Oh, that's cute. But the... the yeah, he's, when he's in the doco being James Bond, he says when he ha- has to do the first, the name's Bond, James Bond, and he says there's so many outtakes. He's like, you feel like a teenage boy with your voice breaking. He said, I swear there's ones where I go, the name's Bond, James Bond. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. And then they play the clip of him from the actual film saying it for the first time and he does it really beautifully. It's so casual. But they also with him, I mean, whoever <laughs> does the lighting for those films, they they handled his eyes so amazingly because he's got these very light blue yeah. piercing <clears throat> eyes and they often light shots to emphasise them. There's the, the opening of Skyfall is Imagine just, having your own personal cinematographer just to make oh, your eyes look good. It's a really good thing because you need to have a word to 7.30 about that. <laughs> Very intense. There's, do you remember the opening? You probably don't remember. I forgot who I was talking to. The opening of Skyfall is a shot of him walking down a hallway and it's sort of dark and he's out of focus and in silhouette and right. he stops just at the point. must have been so hard to shoot. He stops just on the mark where he comes into focus and there's a strip of light and All the right. strip of light only co- covers his eyes. All right, okay. And so he stops in this strip of light with these piercing blue eyes. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm just I'm super excited. <laughs> So, You're disguising it well, so friends, though, aren't you? friends who are listening, start your lobbying for who wants to come and oh sit God. next to well, me. And take me, me off the list, love. I'll catch it on video, to be honest. Like, just settle down. Somebody needs, like, noise-cancelling headphones so as to, you know, drown out your heavy breathing. Um, can I just insert something completely irrelevant? Yes. Um, just heard the best story the other day from um, just an absolute, like, I really love the sound of this chatter. Her name's Kate. She's um she's in the Air Force. And, you know, like lots of people in the armed forces, they uh, have spent this year, you know, being shipped around the place, helping, you know, with COVID-struck communities and so on. COVID Assist is the buzz name for the um, pro- program. Anyway, it means that they kind of have to move from place to place. They live in hotel quarantine, like supporting cops and health workers and stuff. Anyway... She um she says that she asked one of her colleagues, you know, what she could do to support her or how to make her life easier. And she um, asked for crack, <laughs> as in chatter's crack. Anyway, so she made these giant bunches of crack um, and it just spread like wildfire throughout the unit. <laughs> My favourite story is that, <laughs> that the... Um, one leading aircraft woman that she said it to <laughs> has taken to sliding up to the police in her team and asking, do you want some crack? <laughs> <laughs> Their eyes widen and they look at her horrified until from behind her back she whips out the Tupperware container with the salted caramel chocolate crack. Everyone's been really appreciative. Of what I've heard, it's been a real spirit lifter during some of the overnight shifts. Anyway, this colleague of hers, of Kate's, is still stuck in quarantine for another couple of weeks, not allowed to leave during downtime. So she's been doing a um, 
music composition project just to maintain her own sanity. And um, she uh, has been composing music. That's great. Whilst on a crack high. And I'm just going to play you a little bit of it because it's... Crack. Yeah. Crack. Give me that. Crack. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just love it so much. I love that this woman is stuck in a hotel room just mainlining crack and right coming music. up with electronic music. Living the dream. I love it. Thank you, Kate. And um, Kate also was, you know, in the middle of the earthquake the other day and had to dive to save her rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got some good stuff to talk about. Um, I watched something that you talked about ages ago, mm. uh, Inside, Bo Burnham Inside. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's on Netflix. Uh Wow, it's hard to even know what to say about yeah. it. It's uh, you might people who might remember Crab talking about it. It's a it's a comedian who's done um, a kind of documentary slash musical about his year in lockdown yeah. in New York. I felt like it's it's funny. Yeah. It's moving. I felt like it actually stretched me to all of the corners of my emotions and imagination. Yeah. It was really mm. pu- pulls you in a lot of different directions, but. Um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I applauded at the end. Did you? Yeah, I just, it was, it blew my mind. I felt like if I'd seen it, say if it was a stage thing, I felt like I would have stood up, I I felt like I would have leapt to my feet and given a standing ovation. It was fantastic. The thing about that guy is, like, he's he's savagely funny, but he's got this capacity for vulnerability that is really, really interesting and he he can turn really fast as well. Um, Yeah. It's just, you know... I think maybe since Nanette, you know, there's been like really um, a bit of an opening up of what comedians can do. Totally. It's uh, it's that, yeah, it's a real sort of um, shifting from what you understand, like say a, a comedy show or a, or a stand-up, what you think yeah. that they're going to do. It's more like a storytelling kind of thing. Um, oh, God, it was very, very, very good. And in his case, like I guess just even being confined in a room and you kind of get such a – physical sense of the four walls don't you like yeah you know and um i mean i guess it does make you turn inward yeah it's- yeah um anyway it was really really oh, i'm glad to watch that yeah um i listened to sort of you know the universe sometimes throws things at you that are just kind of ser- serendipitous yeah. and then you're like oh this has got a theme going on here strangely i listened to two that were really interesting one was there's a podcast called how to fail which i think you might oh have yeah to. yeah yeah have you listened to the ed miliband episode no oh it's is good. there an ed miliband one yeah i nearly Ooh, i nearly I'm fascinated sent by him. it to you the other week um He's really good talent and it's about, um, you know, failures in his life and he's sort mm. of quite reflective about what it was like being opposition leader and uh, it's just really good. So I just recommend taking a listen to it. I also listened to an episode of um, one called The Happiness Lab and it was about rejection. Oh. Um, oh, my God. It was about this guy who, so you know the film Full Metal Jacket? Yeah. So he was cast in it. Uh, and he, as the barking, I haven't seen Full Metal Jacket, but I know the most famous role in it is that barking sergeant kind oh, yeah. of role. Mm-hmm. The guy won an Oscar yep. for it who did it. This guy was cast in that role and he did all the prep and then he got there and Stanley Kubrick changed his mind and put somebody else in and then he said to this guy, you can have like the kind of oh. the bit part and then he changed his mind about that. The guy in the end did get to do the bit part because they took pity on him. But it was sort of how that film's now, I think, about 30 or 40 years old. It was about this guy's 
coming to terms with that like oh. changed the course of my life. Like I was supposed to be the dude that won the Oscar for Full Metal Jacket. Oh. Yeah, and so he was a nobody. He was plucked out of complete obscurity and given the lead role in Full Metal Jacket. And, oh. then, and the guy who actually did the role was also not well known at all. Um, so how is he with all of that? Uh, really struggling. <gasps> like, you know, still very clearly eaten up by I can't believe this happened to me. Because it was also, it wasn't like... It's not the narrow missing out of something. Like, you know how you hear things about, um, oh, you know, oh, so-and-so yeah. went up for XYZ yeah. role and they didn't get it. Yeah. It's not that. It's that he got it. And then I was watching as well, do you know um, that documentary series I like on Netflix, The Movies That Made Us? It's yeah, kind of yeah. a cheesy thing. Yeah. There's a Back to the Future one I might have talked about the you other You might week. have talked about that a few Just times. Just the other way. <laughs> once or twice. So Eric Stoltz was cast as Marty McFly and they started what? filming with Eric Stoltz. Yeah, there's there's actual, in the movies that made us, they show clips of Eric Stoltz acting scenes. Oh, my God. And it's, it blows your mind because he's dressed exactly the same. He's with Christopher Lloyd wow. and the whole thing. And what but happened? He, uh, he was not working out on set and he mm. didn't. He wasn't bringing any lightness to it. He felt like the story was like a kind of tragedy. And so yeah, right. he was – and they'd always wanted Michael J. Fox, but Michael J. Fox was busy doing family ties. Oh. So they start shooting with Eric Stoltz and then and everyone's just thinking, oh, this is a disaster. He's How terrible you- and he's not taking notes and they can't make it work. And then uh, they bring in – they somehow manage to work Michael J. Fox's schedule so he does 20-hour days doing family ties and then back to the future. So they sack Eric Stoltz. <gasps> so Eric Stoltz gets That'd sacked. That would be an awkward handover, wouldn't it? But the thing that's amazing when you're watching it in the movies that made us is – or the films that made us um, – no, it's the movies that made us um, – so they play like an Eric Stoltz clip and then they play the clip of Michael J. Mm. Fox doing it and Michael J. Fox is eight million times better. Like it's indisputable that Michael J. Fox is so much better. How would that conversation with Eric Stoltz go? Oh. We're just looking for a non-ginger is basically. Oh, oh. And I also just Stoltz that thing, too. it's a bit like the Full Metal Jacket guy, which is, well, I had that. I was Marty McFly. Eric Stoltz has got nothing to complain about though. I mean, he hasn't had Michael J. Fox's career. No, that's but, true. But he's had Eric Stoltz's, which is you yeah, know, that's yeah, true. Is, yeah, that's you pretty know, good. Not about I feel more pool, sorry for the other oh, guys. Like anyway, oh, back to my God. work at the Seven Eleven. Oh, oh, dearie, oh my God! Right, I mean, actually, it's interesting, isn't it? That um, neither of us is really talking about books that much in Do the you know last what? couple of pods. I have been in a bad, bad, bad reading slump this year, but I've just picked up something that I think is going to bust me out of it. I hope we're allowed to talk about it. Oh, yeah, it's on sale. Um, the new Leanne Moriarty. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I did an the interview Apple, with her with the her Apple doesn't day. fall. No, apples never fall. Apple Details, mate. Sorry. Details. Um, yeah, I interviewed her um, and um, realised that her name is pronounced Leanne. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I've consistently on this podcast called her Leanne. Sorry about that. Um, It's terrific. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm halfway through. It's just a – I think it's classic Moriarty. It's Mm -hmm. uh, an easy read, a page turner, but, you know, well executed. Um, Yeah, it's it's sort of – I'm enjoying it. What I like about it is that it is just such a lazily – lazily. (laughs) I'm a writer. Um, It's a laser-sharp – um, observation of siblings and like the tensions that, like, some serious, some completely childish and pointless that persist even among adult siblings. Yeah. Like the storyline is they're this, you know, family, they're a kind of moderately well to do family from the North Shore and Sydney. Um, Mum and Dad, Joy and Stan, have run a tennis academy, like they, and their children all played tennis, but none of them sort of ever, you know, 
made it to sort of stardom. Um, only one student from the academy ever made it to stardom and he dropped Stan as a coach, you know, and this is a real sore point um, in the family. Anyway, the shape of the novel is that um, Joy goes missing and then there's all of this, like, what happened to her? Stan had something to do with her disappearance. How do all the siblings, adult siblings, sort of react to the disappearance of their mother? And there is this sort of wild card woman who, you know, is in the story and you don't really know what her, who she is. She sort of turns up one night. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I loved it just for this sort of incredible observation of siblings. And it's kind of really the first time, well, in a long time that Moriarty has really kind of gone siblings. And it's just, you know, knowing she comes from a big family. I think yeah. It's really, um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really well observed. And the tennis thing feels really real to me too. Like I feel like I've kind of can it, – it just – has a, I mean, obviously I know nothing about a family where the parents run a tennis academy, but there's a kind of authenticity. Oh, you've interviewed tennis players and pretended you know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the next best thing, mate. It feels there's a kind of authenticity to it that really works. The other thing that I've been reading, which has really helped me, is um, Anne Patchett has a new book out called These Precious Days. Right, they're sort of essays, right? Essays, yeah. Now, I know we always get the Anne's confused, Anne Tyler, Anne Patchett. She actually addresses that in her book Does too. She? We're not the only people <laughs> that do that. Um, she, You might remember I didn't like her last book, The Dutch House, and I didn't really I know, love yeah. Bel Canto, which is her most favourite book, most famous book. It was I thought it was okay. Um, these I thought precious, it was okay. Lee Sales. Let's <laughs> go straight on the dust jacket. Of the Hello, Anne, edition. if you're listening. Um, <laughs> these Precious Days, it's really wonderful and it's reminding me a bit of um, Stephen King's book about writing because oh, I remember when I read that I said to you, gee, I like Steve Stephen King's company. Like he's just yeah. his voice is really great. Like he just seems like a great guy. Hmm. And that's how Anne Patchett's making me feel. Like her company is just really pleasurable. And because they're sort of sh- shortish essays on different things, she's got a very chatty kind of writing yeah. style. Um, it really just holds you there. It's a really comforting kind of read. So what sort of what are the essays about? Are they oh, they of- range across everything. Um her childhood uh, best friend, um, a priest that she knows, um, hmm. her husband's love of flying, her bookshop that she works in um, and runs, her love of reading, like just so many different things. I, I've I highlighted a bit to read but I left the book at home actually. But, yeah, oh, well she's done. just – it's a really, really nice book. I saw it on your kitchen yeah, table yeah, actually. Yeah, I've got it. So, so um, it's in my, in my stack. Um, I – have just finished reading uh, a fantastic novel by Larissa Barrent. Oh, yeah. She's, she's a useful woman, Larissa Barrent. She's got a big range. Far out. Like, she's good at everything. And I just think, you know, she's she's sort of, um, you know, she's a lawyer, she's a novelist, and she's sort of just a doer of good things. I don't know. She always seems to just be helpful. <laughs> I don't know. I find her really impressive and I... Um, I haven't written – she's written another novel which I haven't read. She's written nonfiction too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah so heaps of sort of um, yeah. legal nonfiction. But she um, – this novel is called After Story and it's such an interesting structure and concept. So it's about this um, woman called Jasmine. She's a lawyer um, and she and her mum um, – with whom she has a kind of a strained relationship, um, go on a literary walking tour in England, right? And um, there's a sort of a 
family tension backstory because um, Della, the mum, had three daughters and Jasmine is, I think, the youngest. And um, one of the daughters, um, uh, Brittany, was taken from the family's bedroom um, at the age of five and um, and disappeared. And so the whole thing um, takes on this sort of dark backdrop to the family history and all the um, kind of relationships. And um, there is a kind of like a stolen generation vibe to through the family. And so the two of them with this sort of spiky relationship because Jasmine has sort of left their community and gone to university and kind of become a lawyer and she's kind of looked upon by the rest of the family as like, oh, you know, you've left your people behind and your community or whatever. And so there they are doing this walking tour around, you know, like visiting Sissinghurst and, you know, talking about Virginia Woolf and, you know, um, and the Austins and all that. And so as a couple they kind of are – walking around and learning about all of these famous writers and the trauma in the backstories of all of these writers. And it kind of weaves in really seamlessly with their own family pain and, you know, and history. And it goes chapter by chapter um, being told by Jasmine and Della, her mum. And it is this, without sort of expressly being so, it is quite an interesting and compelling meta discussion about the relationship between Australia and England, right? And I just think it's a really sophisticated piece of writing. I really enjoyed it. It's very, very gripping. Um, and I read it like fairly fast because I couldn't put it down. And I, but at the end of it, I just thought, Larissa Barrent, you are a clever, clever lady. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, I picked up a book that I wouldn't probably have picked up other than I read it for work because we're hoping to interview this person. It's by a woman called Tarana Burke. It's called... Oh, um, she's the Me Too, Me Too lady. founder, mm-hmm. yep. Unbound, the story of my liberation and the birth of the Me Too movement. Um, I knew kind of nothing about the origins of it and it's really fascinating and it was incredible to read to realise what it actually started as. So she is a woman who um, grew up in New York where she was sexually abused um, and then she started doing kind of community work and she started realising that sort of sexual abuse and harassment of young women was just a lot. Um, And she was working like in a summer camp um, with girls and then she realised, you know, that people needed to sort of understand that they weren't alone and so she started this kind of me too vibe to mm. encourage people to talk. So she sort of start she started to feel like, you know what, I feel like I can really do some good in my community by helping get some focus on this. And so she birthed this idea of me too that mm. we can talk about this together and she had really strong views as well about when people tell their stories about what happened to them they have to be kind of supported and helped to process that. You can't just tell your story and then, you know, because it's very hard for people to do that and then just be, you know, left. Mm. So she had this very carefully crafted kind of program around it. Anyway, the book opens with her basically waking up one morning and a friend has texted her to go, oh, Me Too is absolutely everywhere. And she sort of looks at social media and this hashtag Me Too thing Mm. has started. 
And she just, she has a complete meltdown because what she's realising is I've been doing all of these, this community work Mm. with black women for a decade Mm. using this concept and now it's being used, it's going to get taken over by rich white women talking about being, um, you know, harassed in the workplace or whatever and that's not what it's actually about. Mm. So she has this sort of period of having a kind of meltdown about it and feeling like all of my work is going to get, you know, just just overshadowed. overshadowed. Um, And then she sort of, it's a bit about how she comes to terms with that and then how she does become sort of involved with it. But when she goes back through the history of it and her community work, it made me realise, geez, that the the concept of Me Too has moved a long way from what she actually was doing in that space, which was incredible work. Like she just so she I helped people like, so much. After a while there was, you know, people started to correct themselves. You yeah. Know, because because of that huge burst of hashtag Me Too activity yeah. around Harvey Weinstein and whatever, um, people were reminded of where this thing had started and yeah. so you started to see people actually acknowledging her. Yeah. And, you know, even at the Oscars she was there, right? Like, yeah. Wasn't she or some She's some been – she's giant, done – yeah, she's been Somebody pulled. took her as their date, you know, to the Oscars, didn't they? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure that there was some sort of like, let's restore this woman to the centre Thank of God, because yeah. it's clear when she goes through it that she came up with it and had done the – you know, all of this incredibly heavy lifting. And it was, I think part of her horror was that, you know, it was because remember that that period where everyone was putting online like, you know, I was, um, you know, patted on the bum by my boss when yeah. I was yeah. 21 and hashtag me too. And that was so far from what mm. her, the actual roots of her thing were. And also people just kind of broadcasting that without the support was what, you know, which yeah. was had been what she was about. So I found it a really instructive read to get a, a, a grip and the full picture of, right, so that's where this actually began and what what the focus of it was and she just writes really well and it's kind of gripping and um wow just also reading like from somebody who's got that incredible sense from a fairly you know i guess from her own teens that i'm meant to do community work and i feel like i can actually be really useful in that space like you know those people who really Mm, have that kind of mindset so um yeah unexpectedly as i say for some reason i wouldn't have picked that book up but i when i read it i thought oh that's great that's good when that happens. It is good when that happens. So, yeah, I don't know why it was that I felt like I wouldn't want to read it. Maybe because it did feel a bit like work to me. Yeah. Because right. um, sometimes there's books that I see, like often with political books. Yeah. Like I won't name it, but you picked up a political book before. And oh, I will just... name it. Um, Annika Smethurst's book, um, The Accidental Prime Minister, which I have not started reading yet, but I've read um, – sorry, I'm aware that I've interrupted you and now I'm just shamelessly <laughs> talking over you and possibly at cross-purposes to the point you were about to make. <laughs> yes. But, like, um, I haven't read it, but the excerpts that I've read have been really interesting and I think people for years have been struggling to try and tell the story or find out what happened to Scott Morrison when he was the um, head of Tourism Australia and she seems to have got to the bottom of the story, which is, like, no mean journalistic feat because a lot of people have been super shtum about that. Interesting. Mm. Um, now I was going to say books like that, even when they're well-written, feel like work to me. So work, books about political movements, social movements, yep. politics, yep. I don't generally um, 
with the exception, oddly, of American politics, because I always find it I was going to so say, juicy. like, because, yeah. yeah. So that and Bond movies. Bond just, movies, yeah. American politics, they are my pets, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Bond stuff, it just ticks so many of my boxes, really. I know. It's just, yeah. I can't work you out, lady. Um, just another really light thing that I've become kind of addicted to. You know, like, every now and again, somebody on Instagram hooks my eye. It was Sam Mack for a long time. That was my favourite thing. Yeah. If you're on Instagram. You're off Sam. See you later, oh, Sam. no, I still love Sam, yeah. Um, there's, but my new obsession that I'm always looking out for, it's a woman named Paula Joy, J-O-Y-E. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she is, she's mostly about fashion and I'm not really sure if our audience are, I mean, I know you and well, I are they're intensely like, fashionable. Uh, no, but are they into fashion and talk of fashion and all? I know you and I are. We love the fashion docos and the yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't want to speak for the masses. <laughs> I know they're into cooking. We're certainly and stuff. bored for Australia on this podcast about things. Yeah, that they must our be. Have so Paula, no I think, is the former editor of Cosmo. Right, anyway, yeah. she does these just cute little videos where she wears different outfits or she talks about makeup or products or whatever. She's got a very winning personality. She's kind of funny and self-deprecating, but she's also, I think, she's one of those people with an excellent eye. Right. Okay. And she just makes things look good. And I just, I find her. You know, again, her company is entertaining to me and I also find what she's talking about interesting and kind of useful. And she's often doing like she's talking about products, so I guess she's sort of selling, but she's one of those people that I don't – she's not pushy. I don't feel like I'm being sold to, but literally everything she wears, I think, oh, I should get one of those. (laughs) Even though I know that I'd look ridiculous. Like, you know, she'll wear like a sequined, you know, tuxedo and I'll think, "Mm, I should get one of those, even though I know that I'd look ridiculous and she looks awesome. Anyway, I just – every day when I look at Instagram, I go, is Paula here? Is Paula here? How much time do you spend on Instagram? Like how much? Maybe check it. Three times a day and probably on for no more than five minutes at a time. Yeah. Not okay. very much. What about you? Um, I, I forget to check it for a couple of days. Um, I'm like a bit um, cautious about Twitter at the moment. I don't really use Facebook apart from the group at all. So, like, I think I'm sort of not massively in social media at the moment. No, me either. I sometimes feel bad about the Facebook Chat 10 group because I, I sort of dip in very rarely um, and just do a quick post or sometimes I have a quick trawl through, but I reckon no more than five minutes every two days. Yeah, I um, I think, I mean, I I love that group, but that's the, probably the only place that I ever go on Facebook. Um, yeah, same. Which is weird because, uh, I mean, uh, people really, really rely on that platform and they love it. And um, I find it's too much. Like I can't – I have trouble kind of um, – I'd have trouble feeling like I'm missing out on things that I am not looking at and the whole world of it is so huge that I like to try and keep it yeah. sort of narrowly focused if I can because otherwise I just think oh, it I'll all get, feels go a mad. bit noisy to me. Mm. Like I don't actually on Instagram follow that many people either. Mm. Like some people follow thousands, I follow I think about 200 and I keep trying to cull. I often will do a cull to try to keep You're get a it down. Of further. course you are. Um because it's just there's just so much going on all the time. When I I'd had 6 weeks off in the middle of the year and I didn't do any um, uh, didn't read any news and didn't look at any kind of news media. Yeah. And then when I came back and I would sort of check, you know, scroll down Twitter to see what's in the news today, I just felt like, oh, my God, there's so much noise. It's just yeah. so – most of it of which I don't need to know about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I tend to – my social media use is like a quick dip in to just check. Is any, anything happening there? Am I missing anything? And then dip back out again. Plus sparkly tuxedos. Sparkly tuxedos. Mate, I think you should do it. <laughs> I think you could pull it off. <laughs> 
Maybe. Well, Jane Smart does. She wore some. She in does. Hats. I loved yeah. her wardrobe oh, yeah. in hacks. Yeah, so um, good. Yeah, it's interesting the whole fashion thing because Chris, obviously, who does my makeup, is also spreadsheet amazing. Chris. Spreadsheet Chris. He's amazing at um, style and all of that stuff too. And what I've realised through him is um, that you know nothing. I know nothing, and it really it does take effort. Like you do have to pay kind of attention to it yeah. if you want to look stylish, and you've got to have an eye for it and some knowledge and, yeah, yeah. He, he makes it seem kind of easy. But when I see how he researches things and the attention he pays, it makes you realise, oh, it's actually quite a lot of work. Yeah, so. that's why you've got Chris. Exactly, to help me <laughs> out. Radio, well, um, right. yeah, I think we're going to go and retire and have a little picnic in the park. Yeah. I've got us some um, tarts from Sweet Bellum. Oh, my God. Okay. Beauty. That's, um, yeah, that is, that is very good development. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. See, see you next time.